Hello, Pedro Pearls listeners, and welcome to another Monday re-release. Today is November 6th, and with the Pedro Conference in just a few short days, it's a good time to start thinking about the role of patients in research. Several patient-centered sessions will happen at the meeting, so please make sure you've downloaded the Pedro app from iTunes or Google. The app will detail all the sessions and allow you to create your own schedule of events while at the meeting. What you're about to hear is the first of two webinars that originally aired in early 2020 called How Patients Fuel Innovation Through Data. To view the video version of this presentation, please follow the link in the show notes. Well, hello everyone, and thanks so much for joining this PEDRA webinar about how critical the role is of patients in fueling innovation. My name is Suze Schrant, and I'm a longtime patient advocate and what I like to call a patient engagement engineer. So basically, if there's something going on in healthcare or research, then I wanna make sure we get patients involved as partners and, in, and in, as advisors, uh, which is exactly what we're gonna talk about today. So this is part one of two webinars, and the goal is really just to give you an overview of the ways that patients can be engaged in healthcare and research, both as partners and advisors to the system but importantly, also as sources of data, sources of information. Obviously, the relationship between these two roles is really connected and intertwined, but to try to just make this as digestible as possible, we carved it up into these two parts, and today we're going to start with tackling how patients can be and already are partners in data. But let's start just with some big picture definitions. You have almost certainly heard the term big data. And this term and the concept has been really prominent over the last several years. So what do people really mean when they say big data? Well, typically they're talking about our ability through technology usually to take data about patients from many different sources. That could be claims data, registry data, clinical trials, electronic medical records, and analyze it. You know, look for trends, try to solve problems, maybe even make predictions. And when we think about and use data, we have to remember that not all data is, quote, big, and we want to be mindful about not setting impossible thresholds uh, for that big data when we deal with and talk about rare diseases. So, for example, in a rare disease, big data might be five case studies, but that's every bit as valuable as 10,000 data points in a community with a, co a common disease. The thing that we're going to really focus on today is sort of the newer kid on the block in the context of data, and that's the value of patient-generated data. You've probably heard about patient-reported outcomes, or PROs, and that data is certainly very important. It's information that patients provide in response to structured questions and tools, usually administered by a clinician or a researcher. But now the field is pretty wide open. There are lots of ways we can capture patients' insights and patients' thoughts about um, all sorts of aspects of healthcare and research, whether it's through online committees or tracking apps or forums and focus groups. The next webinar, we're going to be talking about these roles for patients across a few different domains of healthcare and research. And first up, we're going to hit clinical and academic research. And one of the pivotal patient-generated data initiatives um, that's happened in recent history came through PCORI, the Patient-Centered Outcomes Research Institute, which you may be familiar with. It launched something called PCORNet, which was envisioned as a large interconnected data platform 
that really recognize the value of the data that patients themselves provide in addition to data from those other clinical sources like EMRs and registries. And in fact, patient-powered research networks or PPRNs were actually awarded funding through PCORI to get set up and begin collecting and storing and analyzing patient-generated data. Now, this effort is still going on. It's still funded by PCORI, but it is now overseen and sustained by something called the People-Centered Research Foundation, which is an independent nonprofit committed to continuing this important work. In the clinical trial data space, another thing just to be aware of and check out is called the NIH Co-Laboratory. This is a place where that data can be analyzed cross-trial, cross-research, uh, to really add extra benefit to those who are spending the time to look into this data across many sectors and domains. And then certainly many hospital and health systems are working on what's, become, what's referred to as a learning health system. Um, no one is, is completely up and running in this regard yet, but a lot, of, a lot of institutions are trying to get there. And the idea of a learning health system is that you essentially grab onto every available source of data so every clinical episode, um, every clinic note in the medical record, every test result, every piece of input you can capture to learn from and improve the health of patients within that system. And many of you could be receiving care in one of those systems that's striving to be a learning health system. Now in the drug and development space, it's the FDA that's been such an immense advocate of using patient-generated data in the medical product development lifecycle. And this has been through several initiatives, many of which are, are listed here on the slide. It was really the, the 21st Century Cures Act and then multiple iterations of PDUFA, the Prescription Drug User Fee Act, that codified into legislation these concepts around patient engagement. But it's also showing up in, in many ways in the industry and private sector um, where the same holds true, both individual companies and across consortia and associations, these efforts to develop best practices and industry standards for ensuring that that patient-generated data and those insights are incorporated into the medical product development process. And you'll see some examples of that in just a little bit. I'm going to take a little bit of a turn here because in the patient safety and quality improvement space, the relationship with data is a little more interesting, a little more challenging. Um, certainly in the case of those hospitals and health systems I just mentioned, they are working on accessing all of the data at their disposal to look for issues around quality and improve patient outcomes and most importantly, reduce instances of harm or medical error. But the mechanism for collecting data related to safety and harm are far, far from comprehensive. It's not to say there haven't been a lot of efforts to, to improve. So certainly entities like the Agency for Healthcare Research and Quality, the National Quality Forum, the Joint Commission, internationally you've got the World Health Organization with a robust patient safety uh, interest. All of these have worked to better capture instances of harm or um, attempt to institute solutions. But even with all of that work underway, the most recent estimates of preventable deaths in the U.S. from medical errors ranges from 200,000 to 400,000. So this is certainly an area um, where improvement is needed. And important for us in our discussion today is it's an area where patient-provided data could really be a valuable tool. Now, patient and family advocates aren't waiting. They aren't waiting for a robust tool. They have already jumped into the safety and quality space through formation of 
safety-specific advocacy organizations and patient and family advisory councils in individual and hospital uh, organiz- in individual hospitals or institutions, but also in organizations like the IPFCC, um, where they're sort of bringing PFACs and patient and family leaders together to talk about um, what are your best practices and how do we institute them across the entire country. And then finally, we're not going to spend a, a huge amount of time on this, but just want to touch briefly on the value assessment space. Um, this really is another burgeoning area in the U.S. as, unfortunately, our healthcare costs continue to, to rise and be a challenge. In other industrialized nations, there are formal bodies that evaluate the cost effectiveness of health technology. So that could be drugs, devices, procedures, et cetera, anything that we use in the course of healthcare. And those are known as HTA bodies. Many countries that, that have these HTA bodies have begun incorporating patients into that review process, which is great, inviting patients to share their lived experience, um, make it very clear what it's like to live with these diseases and very vivid descriptions. Now, in the U.S., we do not have a formal HTA body, but we have something called ICER, which is the Institute for Clinical and Economic Review. And not only has ICER been working to bring in that lived experience through individual patients who come and share and tell their stories, there's an increasing focus on the use of patient-generated data to help ICER make its decisions. And if we have time, I'll share an example of, of where that played out and how impactful that patient-generated data was. But going back through these domains now, um, we can start over again with clinical and academic research and, and do a little bit of a deeper dive and think about how exactly is my data gathered? And really, a pretty large amount of your data is essentially collected without you really knowing it or being aware of it. Claims data results from any medical encounter you have that's covered or paid for by your private or public insurance plan. Your electronic medical records capture everything that happens in the span of your clinic visits um, that your doctor records or that your clinicians record. If you've ever been in a clinical trial, there was data collected about how you responded to the therapy or the intervention being tested. And certainly, it all depends on where you are seen and whether you're part of a teaching institution or a research institution as to whether there is active research going on around your data. So it's possible your data is just sort of sitting there waiting to be looked at or that it's actively being cultivated and studied. Now, what we wanna focus on today is that you can also contribute data actively. So that could be interacting with your patient portal, it could be daily monitoring of your symptoms, tracking of medications or using other interventions. And the reason that kind of on the ground data is so important is that it really completes the picture. So let's say that your electronic medical record data shows that you got a prescription for a therapy for your skin condition, but then there's nothing in the claims data that came from your insurance to show that you actually followed through to get that therapy. Just stop for a minute and think about what would the conclusions be that a researcher might draw just from looking at those two data points. Um, maybe, maybe they think your skin condition resolved by itself. It just went away. Or maybe they thought, oh, you were one of those patients. You weren't adherent to your treatment plan and you just kind of made a decision to not follow through. But what if the truth was that you checked into getting the therapy, you, you looked at what that would entail, and you just weren't able to make it work with your tight work schedule. There was no way you could get it done 
you travel too much, you weren't going to be around to go get that therapy. That kind of patient-generated insight, that's the on-the-ground data that helps complete the story, and it prevents that really worrisome issue that conclusions are going to be made based on someone's, you know, even if even well-educated, but still best guesses about why or how a patient ended up the way they did instead of that real lived story from the patient. Now, looking at an example of how we can use that sort of on the ground, real direct perspective of patients, I'm actually going to um, borrow an example from PCORI. This was from an appendicitis study funded, this was several years ago. And the idea for the study was you didn't always have to rush to do an appendectomy and remove the appendix when there were symptoms of appendicitis. You could also prescribe antibiotics and just wait patiently and observe, and that's called watchful waiting. But there was a lot of concern, not from patients, but from the researchers and clinicians that, gosh, I don't know if patients would be willing to be randomized, meaning assigned to one of these arms of the study. We think they'd be kind of freaked out and maybe not willing to be randomized because what if that meant they were going to be given antibiotics and watchful waiting? But instead of just relying on those guesses, what they did was they engaged their patient stakeholders, sent out a massive survey, got around 700 responses, just to hear from patients about, would you be willing to be randomized? Here would be the options in the study. If all things are equal, would you be willing to do that? And it turned out the data informed them that yes, patients would be willing to do that. And so they were able to move forward on that study now with real grounded evidence from the patient community instead of you know, just sort of keeping fingers crossed and hoping. So what does all this mean for you in terms of your engagement in clinical and academic research? Well, do you know if your hospital or institution is conducting research? Are you consented to be involved? If you want to be, check it out. Reach out to whomever your best point of contact is, your clinician or someone in the front office, and talk about, hey, I'd like to make sure that my data is being used, or if there is research, I want to know about it and be involved. You can certainly look to PEDRA as a source for participation in research. Is, or, you know, is there anything going on that you want to get involved in? One effort you can get involved in today, you can click on the link that's captured in this, in this deck, is the National Institutes of Health All of Us initiative. And this is an effort, of a real big data effort, to just get contributions from all types of patients all across the country to increase what we know about different people and their experiences with disease and health and how they respond to different stimulus. So it's, it's a large analysis coming from the most diverse cross-section of the population that they can get. And then lastly, if you work with a patient advocacy organization, if that's part of what you do as a patient partner, ask if they're doing any work in data collection, or maybe even spearhead that effort. Reach out to the leadership, talk about ways you can mobilize your patient community to generate that data, and then use it to help improve healthcare and research. So now we're going to go to the next domain in, uh, in these topics and talk about drug and device development, which is another area where patient-generated data is incredibly important. And, you know, whether it's to capture unmet medical needs of patients or understand what types of side effects or, or deal breakers, there are myriad ways that patient data can contribute to this process. We talked about PRO data, which is one way that clinical trials can attempt to capture outcomes that are important to patients. 
but there's broader patient experience data now that we can tap into that's truly informative. And the FDA has been working on a, a set of guidances to help industry and patients really better understand how and why to include this data from patients. Um, if I were to go through these guidances in any detail, that would be a whole nother webinar or maybe multiple webinars. They're very lengthy. They've been informed by multiple consumer and patient groups. They're still getting input and feedback. Um, but just to try to simplify what they essentially outline is first, from whom should the data come? Meaning, is the data you're capturing representative of the whole patient community or is it just a narrow specific swath? And what methods are you using? How are you making sure the way you are collecting the data is rigorous and scientific? How will the data inform the way you measure outcomes in the trial? What are the tools you're gonna uh, create for this? And how can and should the data be used in the development and regulatory oversight? So really taking a holistic approach of how this data can be informative and valuable. Patient-generated data is being used in so many ways in this space. And in some cases, the data is about the clinical trial process itself and understanding what would make a trial feasible and attractive to patients. For example, how do we combat fear about things like placebo? So in many patient communities, folks don't want to be in a clinical trial. They're afraid of receiving placebo or they're worried about stopping their current therapies to try to, you know, the new test therapy. And in fact, it, it's funny, the whole concern around things like placebo-controlled trials or um, be, having to stop your current therapy could actually be somewhat mitigated if we had more large data sets from patients to better understand the natural history of disease, how therapies have met or missed their targets. So sort of if we, if we had a better understanding, we might even need fewer of these sort of gold standard placebo-controlled trials. But patient insights aren't only for just those big picture issues. They can also shape the development of specific particular products. And that's what this um, example is in the slide deck. So for many years, the focus of rheumatoid arthritis therapies has been pain and relieving pain. And if you're familiar with this condition, you know that is an, an immense part of the disease experience. This is a condition where your, your immune system attacks your joints and if it's a moderate to severe form of the disease, it can keep attacking until it really causes destruction of the joints. The issue is there are also many other important symptoms that affect quality of life significantly. If you can actually get those patient insights and think about how much that informs the process, that would, those would be watershed moments. So for one, we should be measuring fatigue in a clinical trial. We know that fatigue is a huge issue in this disease community. And we can't know if therapy is being uh, effective at combating fatigue unless we ask the patients about fatigue in the clinical trial. But maybe we could aim even higher. Instead of just you know, measuring whether fatigue is addressed, what if we start with patient partnership at product ideation so that we're actually looking at creating therapies that target fatigue in addition to targeting pain? I mean, these are some pretty um, exciting developments if we can really get drug development on the right page right from the beginning by having patient partners in the room. So what do you do in the drug and development space? How could you, drug and device development space, how could you get more involved here? Well, are you signed up to receive updates from the FDA? You could certainly look at serving on committees, going to their public meetings. They're usually available virtually online so you don't have to travel. 
or are you a member of a patient advocacy organization that's already involved in collecting data? As I mentioned earlier, even if your group isn't collecting data, spearhead that. Tell them why it would be important. Look for opportunities to use that data. Um, also be on the lookout for specific companies, so industry partners that are looking for data. It's starting to become more and more common for companies, pharmaceutical companies, device companies, to, to reach out to patient communities and say, hey, we'd really like to understand more about your experience so that we can target our therapies more effectively. Now, as I mentioned earlier, the area of safety and quality improvement is actually a place where there's a whole bunch of opportunity in terms of patient-generated data. One great example to start with is something called the HCAP survey. So this is the Hospital Consumer Assessment of Healthcare Providers and Systems Survey. It's kind of a mouthful. And if you've ever been in the hospital, you would have received one of these surveys. Certainly incredibly well-intended and, and very valuable for, for a few reasons. The idea is to really capture data about the quality and experience of care. The problem is it's missing some things that are really important to us as patients. So, you know, it asks about some aspects of comfort, like your room and the food that was available. Um, it might ask you about communication and if you felt respected and were able to get questions answered. But where it falls short is it does not give you an opportunity to talk about things like errors, mistakes, harm. It doesn't even ask you sort of how you ended up. So were you better off when you left the hospital than when you came in? Did your problem get addressed? What were your outcomes? So essentially our only capture of error or harm comes from really significant harms or errors, which are called never events. And so that would be something like performing surgery on the wrong person or uh, on the wrong body part. Or it comes from mistakes that, that are, again, severe enough that it results in medical malpractice cases. So just imagine for a moment if patients had a venue for reporting errors or harms or misdiagnoses or other things that would provide much more clarity on this issue and really help us figure out solutions. Now, the same is true when it comes to thinking about serious adverse events or SAEs from therapies and devices. Um, there are certainly official reporting mechanisms patients can use through the FDA, um, often through individual manufacturers. But the way I think about these is these are typically more for fully formed issues. Like you, you really know that this side effect came from this drug or um, this harmful effect happened from this device. It's not for those times when you think, huh, I wonder if this symptom is related to this drug or the combination of drugs I'm taking. And there are some real opportunities to unearth side effects or harms and find those early signals if we look to the patient community to contribute and share that data. So these unrealized opportunities are both looking forward, like let's find a way to safely and proactively collect and analyze data, but there's also opportunities even to look backward. We know there are patient communities that have already contributed data that's just sort of sitting and waiting to be analyzed. So there's opportunities in, in every direction. We actually have an example of folks in the patient community that just took charge in this space. This is a group out of California that, just like me, was troubled by the lack of reporting of medical errors and harms, so they built a way to do it. And this is data that would have been you know, otherwise not collected. The data was even published and is now publicly available. And what a great way to alert hospitals and health systems to what's really going on in the community, You know, having these patients tell their stories and, and share this information is profoundly important. So what can you do 
um, in this quality and safety space, really similar to research and drug development, right? Are you contributing your data to a patient advocacy organization? And if not, lead the charge there. But what if PEDRA or your own disease community could specifically capture data to look for some of these warning signs, right? Identify early signs of trouble with some newer drugs. Maybe even study long-term effects of drugs or look at the long-term impact of disease over the, over the lifespan. Better understand comorbid conditions. There's so much you could do as a community if you pool your data and spend some time really looking and analyzing. And then lastly, um, we touched on this briefly in the opening that patient data can be you know, truly incredibly valuable in value assessment and payment conversations. As I explained, the U.S. does not have a formal HTA body, but ICER is becoming increasingly important as a vehicle for assessing value. And ICER has for a while now invited patients to testify or participate in these discussions, but now there's exploration about the role of data generated from patients and how important that can be in these deliberations. So just a few years ago, ICER did a review of a line of therapies called biologics that are used in rheumatoid arthritis. And a patient advocacy organization was able to mobilize the community and collect a robust set of data to help really close the gaps in what ICER was analyzing. So usually what they're looking at is claims data, clinical trial data, maybe registry data, or, or some other forms of clinically oriented information. It doesn't tell the story of what patients have experienced over the long term. And you know, we as patients are mobile. We move from system to system, clinic to clinic, state to state, even country to country. We are the only ones who can actually sit down and recount how often did a drug stop working? How often did a drug have to be discontinued due to a side effect? Or how many times has a drug just not worked at all? What has that journey been like? And that was the kind of data that made a really big difference in the way ICER looked at the effectiveness of these RA biologics and actually influenced the outcome of the report, which was that, gosh, we really can't say if one drug is more effective than another because it's clear that across the lifespan of these patients, it's been quite topsy-turvy. We don't know why um, any given drug works for which person for how long and why it would stop working. So this is important stuff. Now, across all of the domains we've just discussed, there are some common issues and needs to really harness the power that lies in patient data. And these steps are all pretty critical in order to make this work and make it work for the long term. First, you really have to establish and continuously foster trust in the patient advocacy organization and research community. You know, it takes a really long time to establish trust, but just one very brief incident can erode trust. Being transparent about how data is used, who's going to make money from it? Will the very patients who shared their data get the benefit of the knowledge that's derived from the data? Or will it go into a journal article that's behind a paywall that patients can't access? Transparency and fairness are, are really key. Next, of course, safety first. The safe collecting and reliable storage is important. Patients obviously don't want their data to be stolen or used against them. But I will say that concerns about data and safety are often equal to or even less than an issue of the concerns about trustworthiness and transparency that I mentioned above. So both of these have to be taken incredibly seriously. And one of the ways you do that is step three here, put patients at the helm. The very best way to ensure the data is used in fair and transparent ways that benefit the patient community 
is to put patients in governance and oversight roles. And that was a hallmark of the way PCORnet was set up by PCORI, patient partners involved at all levels. And then lastly, this is where you get into the area of the waste of collected data that's not being used. So be vigilant about opportunities to inject that patient-generated data into research and development, value assessment, safety, quality improvement, and elsewhere. Data doesn't really do us any good unused. We need to be bold about our thinking and how we push forward in these areas. And all of this leads us to the topic we'll cover in the next webinar, which will help sort of paint that picture, how patient partners can ensure authentic and meaningful and fair use of patient data. With that, we've come to the end of our time together, and I really hope this was informative and got you energized about the possibilities that exist when we tap into our greatest resource, our patient community. If you have any questions, please don't hesitate to reach out. And this deck is going to be available on the PEDRA website with hyperlinks um, that will function and take you to the various resources identified. So thanks so much and have a great day. Thanks for listening to this Monday re-release. The second webinar in this mini-series, How Patients Fuel Innovation as Strategy Partners, is up next.